In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever learned something that appears to be completely out of sorts with all the other facts you know? Something that we might say defies logic. I remember when I was younger, maybe nine or ten, that one of our family friends said to me that he wished that the company that he was preparing to retire from would have paid him a penny extra after the first year he worked there and then doubled that penny each year until he reached what would be the 30, his 35th year at the company. I remember being flabbergasted by the situation until he pulled out a pocket calculator and showed me that if you double a penny, you get two pennies, and then if you double that, you get four, and then eight, and then 16, and you all know how it works out, until eventually you get over a million dollars. In his case, at 35 years, his last payout would have been $345 million. It made me realize how the scale of economy, even when doubled, sounds somewhat far-fetched. There are things like that that occur every day. The rate of gravity, the time it takes for the sunlight to reach us here on Earth, the timeline that science has provided to us of the actual lifespan of the Earth thus far, and some of it truly does boggle the mind. Sometimes the enormity, the sheer size of things doesn't make sense even when we know and understand what we're talking about. Logic sometimes doesn't seem logical. St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, reminds them of something that doesn't seem logical at all. In fact, the word used in this passage is logos, the same word that St. John used to describe Jesus in the opening chapters of his gospel. Logos means word, but it also means conversation or dialogue or message, or even logic. So when St. Paul writes that the message of the cross is foolishness, he is not merely speaking about the message the cross tells, but the entire logic of the cross. Logic stands in defiance of the world we sometimes think we know. And the cross stands itself in defiance of the logic of the world. And so it is when we think about it. The cross is not just a piece of jewelry that some of us wear as a lovely trinket. Nor is it a lovely ornament that adorns our churches. We have a rather large one just here. Or our homes. The cross, until several centuries after the crucifixion of Jesus, was not a recognizable image of peace and serenity of all that is holy but was instead an image of death, of torture, of agony, of humankind at its absolute gruesomest. The sign, it was a sign of power from the state, and that the state held absolute power to not only tax people and conscript them into military service, but the state also had the ultimate authority on who lives and who dies. And much like when we see a hangman's noose or the image of the electric chair, which might fill us with horror and ghastly thoughts, so did the cross 
in Roman times in the empire. Corinth, a city in the empire, undoubtedly saw the very public executions that the empire performed. And it would have been more than likely that each member of the church had either seen or had been forced to attend an execution. And it's also very likely that perhaps they themselves had families or friends who were subject and had been victims of such. It would have been as common to us as attending a football game, going to the movie theater, or shopping at the local grocery store. So everyone knew something about the cross. And it was that the cross meant death. The cross means someone dies a long, agonizing death. Death, by crucifixion, is actually where we get our word excruciating, a term we use to describe pain, death, trauma, trying circumstances, anything that's altogether unpleasant. St. Paul telling the church in Corinth that sometimes logic doesn't make sense. Fools are sometimes right, wisdom is sometimes wrong, and when God works his salvation in this world, we sometimes have to stop looking at what makes sense in the eyes of the world and look instead at what makes sense in God's wisdom. Paul, being a Jew, would undoubtedly have remembered stories from the Hebrew scripture about God working his wonders when things did not make sense. Remember Abraham and Sarah, old people who were considered dead, bringing life into this world through the birth of Isaac in their extreme old age, something God had promised both of them. Remember the deliverance at the Red Sea, when the Israelites with their back against the sea and Pharaoh coming down upon them in their chariots with their horses and their spears were preparing to slaughter them. And yet God told Moses to tell the people to do nothing but to watch God act. And we all know the story. The waters of the sea split into two and the Israelites walked on dry land. Or the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after the end of the exile in Babylon with the promise that the Lord whom they seek will suddenly come into his temple. And now, St. Paul is saying that God has acted again in not only a new way, but in the same way, bringing life even though or in spite of death being present. Death may be even being the working agent. Jesus dying on the cross, an instrument of shame, torture, and oppression, brings about not death, but life everlasting. Not shame, but glory. Not torture, but healing. And not oppression but freedom to live as children of God our Father. That wonderful hymn, In the Cross of Christ I Glory, is absolutely right. The cross towers over the wrecks of time, shining its light sublime into the darkest and deep dark places of this world. Pain and pleasure, bane and blessing, are sanctified through the death of Jesus the most holy 
and life-giving act. The world, both of St. Paul's time and of the world today, see Jesus' death as folly, as something from which no good could ever come. The death of Jesus on the cross in the eyes of the world is a defeat, another chapter of the subjugation of a man to the power of the state. But to us, and this is the crux of what Paul is brilliantly saying, to us, we know. We know that it is something quite different. The logic of the cross, the message of the gospel is that through death comes life. We, have on, we only have our lives because of Jesus' death. Death became for us the way to life eternal. It is why in a few minutes we will say, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Our Lord was a sacrificial lamb, like the lamb of the Passover in Egypt by whose death and the shedding of his blood completed once and for all the enmity placed between God and humankind because of our sin. As Thomas Cramer wrote, Christ suffered death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there, by his one oblation of himself once offered, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' death on the cross destroyed death and opened for us the way to eternal life. But there's another aspect about the logic of the world we must consider. And it's not just the death of Jesus, but also the way into which he called us to live. The Beatitudes the portion of St. Matthew's Gospel we heard today, call us to live into a life that the world considers foolish and foolhardy. People who are poor in spirit do not tend to inherit much, and yet they are promised a kingdom. People who are peacemakers are sometimes seen as weak in the eyes of the powerful. People who are pure in heart are often laughed at their naivete, or considered out of touch with the realities of the world. But yes, it is this way that Jesus calls us to live, the way that looks counter to the world. It is a countercultural call to live into the realities of the world as they truly are, not just the way the world wants us to believe it is. We see it in the commercialization and the exploitation of the human body. Buy this shirt or buy those pants and you will look just as attractive as the model. Eat here and you will be hobnobbing with the rich and the famous. Vacation here because well, this is where all the successful people go. But Jesus calls us to live a different life, a holy life. A life that looks at the cross, knowing it is an instrument of death, but seeing it for what it truly is, the instrument of life. And the cross, lar large or small, fashioned out of gold or wood, 
as something to never hide, but to always show, to always display. If you happen to have a necklace that you wear with the image of the cross, don't tuck it in your shirt unless you must. I mean, I know there are some places where it's not safe to wear something dangling from your neck, but don't hide the cross. The cross of Jesus is our insignia. It is our banner. To those of us who are being saved, the cross of Jesus is everything. To those dying, the cross is the emblem of hope. Passing through death to life doesn't comply with the logic of the world, but yet the cross still stands. And it is that which sanctifies and blesses us through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. This is why when we give the blessings, we always make the sign of the cross with our hand or on your forehead. Come to the cross. Come to that which sets all the problems of the world right. Come to that which seems foolish, but instead is wise. Come to the cross of Jesus and learn what true living looks like, what true love looks like, what God calls us to live into. Come and find true wisdom and glory in the only place that it can possibly be found. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.